Has anybody heard of the mysterious healing powers of grape nuts? Grape nuts cereal? Has anybody heard about those mysterious powers of grape nuts? You haven't? Have you heard about how wonder, wonderful postum is? Man, I'm striking out. I thought at least somebody would have heard of these things. Well, C.W. Post, where Post Cereal and all that company comes from, in the early 1900s, and really the late 1800s, was very aggressively marketing. And he took advertising and marketing to levels this country had never heard of. And two of his products was Postum, which was a, a substitute for coffee. It wasn't real coffee. And he was sure to tell everybody about the evils of coffee. That's why I don't like the man, by the way. Can I get an amen? Come on now, coffee. And... He also, he was telling people how wonderful grape nuts cereal was. That's where the Post Advertising Company and the cereal company came from. He would tell people that grape nuts could cure appendicitis, that it had miraculous healing powers for molar abscess. He even said that it could help a wheelchair-bound invalid. And he, he had a great advertising campaign, and he actually had to go to court and defend himself because of some of the issues surrounding the type of advertising that he was doing. I was talking to Betty this morning, and she brought up a commercial because of some of the crazy things that some of the commercials say. Don't know if any of you watched Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman in the 90s, and I recall one episode where there was a guy who came to town selling some sort of tonic and the whole town was caught up, and they were going and buying this tonic. And, of course, that set up for a great showdown between Dr. Quinn and this guy who was leading people on with false hopes about his tonic. They didn't have the Internet during those days, so a guy like that could go from town to town and sell his wares if he was a good salesman and really lead people astray. Within us, I think, the, uh, after the last 100 years or so of these great marketing campaigns, commercials, newspaper ads, Internet ads, we've kind of gotten to the point to where many of us are a little bit jaded when it comes to marketing and advertising. But every once in a while, there is somebody who just tells the story just right, and they'll grab a few people, or sometimes a lot of people, and get them in their sway. And that's kind of the way I feel that sometimes we have this attitude or this feeling of being jaded towards our scriptural passage today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11. And for those of you who are visiting, we've been making our way through the gospel of Mark since last December, I think it was. And we'll probably finish up here in just a couple months, but we've been going pretty much paragraph by paragraph through the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, and I want to give you a, set the stage for today by Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Mark chapter 11 and verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany... Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. 
And Jesus said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And the story abruptly stops there. And the next thing we have is as he's been on his way into Jerusalem from Bethany. Bethany was just a few miles from Jerusalem. <clears throat> and so he was walking along his way. He sees this fig tree. He sees it doesn't have figs. Even though it's not in season, he curses it. And then he walks along his way and enters Jerusalem. And next is what we looked at last week with the cleansing of the temple. So we're not going to go back into that. And uh, you can look at sermons on our website if you would like to figure out what in the world that has to do with anything. You can listen to that and learn from that. So now we're going to skip down to verse 20. Verse 20. And as they, that's Jesus and his company of people, passed by in the morning. They're coming back from Bethany because when Jesus cleansed the temple, he went back out of the city, went to Bethany for the night, spent the night there. Now they're coming back into the city. And so they passed by that same fig tree the way they did the previous morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered Remember what had happened the previous morning and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. As I read this passage, there's all kinds of emotions and thoughts that come up in my mind. This is an incredible guarantee that Jesus gives. One of the emotions that I think I have, that it's fair to say that many other people would have, is this jaded feeling of, it's like this advertising campaign of, only you do this, you're going to get this, and it promises the world to you. And that is the way sometimes we can feel towards the promise that Jesus gives. For those of you who are visiting, if you like to take notes, there is a handout in the bulletin with blanks on it. And I did this last week with blanks. I don't normally put blanks in the handout, but I really want to be able to lead you through this so you can't look ahead because I want to take you, step you through these truths one step at a time. So let's go with the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you, Lord Jesus, and we're considering your words and Help us to be honest with ourselves and the feelings and thoughts we have surrounding this guarantee that you gave us. And then, Spirit of God, please teach us and show us our need, encourage us, strengthen us, 
And may we have a new confidence through the lessons here. (coughs) We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one this morning. People are interested in impressive accomplishments. So the blanks there. The first one is interested. Second one is accomplishments. So people are interested in impressive accomplishments. I want to read something from a book called Range. It's just going to be really quick. I think you will find it interesting. And then I'm going to ask you who it's talking about. The boy's father could tell something was different. At six months old, the boy could balance on his father's palm as he walked through their home. At seven months, his father gave him a putter to fool around with, and the boy dragged it everywhere he went in his little circular baby walker. At ten months, he climbed down from his high chair, trundled over to a golf club that had been cut down to size for him, and imitated the swing he'd been watching in the garage. Because the father couldn't yet talk with his son, he drew pictures to show the boy how to place his hands on the club. It is very difficult to communicate how to putt when your child is too young to talk, he would later note. At age two, an age when the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention list physical development milestones like kicks a ball, and stands on tiptoe. He went on national television and used a club tall enough to reach his shoulder to drive a ball past an admiring Bob Hope. That same year, he entered his first tournament and won the 10 and under division. There was no time to waste. By three, the boy was learning how to play out of a Sand twop. And his father was mapping out his destiny. He knew his son had been chosen for this and that it was his duty to guide him. Think about it. If you felt that certain about the path ahead, maybe you too would start prepping your three year old to handle the inevitable and insatiable media that would come. Does anybody know who this is talking about? Yeah, it's Tiger Woods. This book um, goes on to demonstrate how sometimes parents will emphasize early specialization for their children so they can go on to have great careers. And the premise of this book is, is that's harmful, actually, in the long run. But that's quite beside the point. People are captivated with the ability to accomplish and do great things. And books are written and um, there's seminars and there, you look to have the, the best trainers so you can accomplish great things. People are interested in great accomplishments. You can, those of you who have been around for a while, you can think of the things that you've done in your life in order to accomplish great things. And that is what is going on here with the Apostle Peter in Mark chapter 11. And I'm just going to look at verse 20 and 21. And Jesus and his company passed by in the morning, 
they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. So one day later, it's withered away. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So this is what Peter is doing here. He is taking note to Jesus of the impressive accomplishment that Jesus had done. It's something that captivates any of us when something amazing happens, unusual happens, when a great accomplishment happens, we take note. It grabs our attention. As we mature as Christians, as followers of Christ, we begin to make better value judgments on what is impressive and why and how we can accomplish things and what to accomplish. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us spiritual maturity and wisdom and how to value what is impressive because the world has its own judgment, its own value system of what is impressive. And most of the time, it conflicts with the values that Jesus gives us. So, the question is, what was Jesus' response to Peter? Peter took note of Jesus' impressive accomplishment. What was Jesus' response to Peter? (coughs) Let's look at Mark chapter 11 and verse 22. And Jesus answered them. So Peter spoke to him. But Jesus not only answers Peter, but to the whole company. And he says this. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. So Jesus here made a connection between impressive accomplishment and faith in God. So that is number two. People must connect their accomplishments to faith in God. First blank is accomplishments. Second blank is faith. Third blank is God. So number two, people must connect their accomplishments to faith in God. This is one of the most important principles for our lives. When we talk about faith in God, it starts with our saving faith. The faith where we come to Jesus and trust in Him that what He did on the cross, His death, was an atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. And His burial and His resurrection, He rose victoriously over sin, conquered sin and death. And through that, there is a gift of salvation saving us from condemnation. You see, we're all born under condemnation. We're all born into sin. But God was not satisfied with that. That was a sad thing for Him. And that is why He sent His Son, Jesus. So that if we believe in Him, we have that saving faith that rescues us from the condemnation of sin. That is John 3.16 for you. For God, as God the Father, so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
That's the beginning point of understanding what true accomplishment is and what to do about it. But once you've gone through the gateway of faith in God for salvation, then there is the Christian life of faith in God for sanctification, for growing, for maturing. And so how do you handle... There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of opportunity in America, but there's a lot of pressure because we want to accomplish, we want to reach great things. And so how do we have the wisdom to know how to accomplish the right great things in the right way at the right time? Well, that happens through our faith in God. It is our faith of God, faith in God that enables us to accomplish the right great things at the right time in the right way. There are a ton this morning is a morning of books. I just, as I was preparing for this sermon, there was just several books that just really connected to today's scripture passage. And there are many books out there talking about how you can accomplish things and do great things. And John Acuff, he is a Christian, but as you read his book, it is not really focused on the message of Christ. It's focused mostly on practical tips. And the title of this book is Finish. And then the subtitle is, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. Finish. Give Yourself the Gift of Done. And it's chock filled with all kinds of practical tips, and they are good tips. I don't necessarily disagree with them. But they are good tips on how to get things done. One of them is just say no. Learning how to say no to things. Another one is, if you can't stop, simplify Talking about removing all kinds of clutter in your life and just doing key things in your life so you can get the right things done. And then the name of one chapter is Make It Fun If You Want It Done. Another practical tip. Make it fun if you want it done because if you're dreading it, you're going to drag your feet and not want to do it. It's a good book full of practical tips. But let me ask you something. What is the most reliable way to accomplish the right things? What is the most reliable way to accomplish the right things? Exercising your faith in God. And these practical tips that many authors give, most of them are very, very helpful. I'm not saying they're wrong. But they're not the starting point, my friends. The starting point goes with your relationship with God. And from that, you are able to deal with accomplishments the right way. That's what Jesus was doing there. He was connecting accomplishment to faith in God. That's exactly what he's doing. It's an odd answer because Peter observed this great accomplishment Jesus had done. And Jesus gave what we might consider as an odd answer. Have faith in God. What's that supposed to mean? What it means is is that you are to connect accomplishment to faith in God. But there's something even better here in this passage. Number three, faith in God guarantees the impossible. Faith in God guarantees the impossible. Hence, 
the title of the sermon, which is The Impossible Guarantee. And it's here where we might feel a little bit like, hmm, this feels kind of like, you know, some advertising campaign. doesn't seem like this is realistic. It's promising me the world. So let's look at what we can learn from this passage. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now I'm not going to ask you to confess here, but how many of you, you can just answer inside, how many of you after watching the Star Wars movie when nobody was looking, see if you can lift something and levitate it from the air? Okay, some people are shaking their heads at me. I'm not answering that question. I didn't ask you to answer the question. I'm not going to answer that question. In some ways, that's the way it can feel here with what is being taught by Jesus. Really? Well, the idea of moving a mountain is the illustration. And the application is asking in prayer. And I don't want you to lose sight that Jesus gives us an absolute guarantee here. So how does that work? All Any Christian who has prayed for something can struggle with what is Jesus saying here? What does that mean? Well, let me start with some obvious things, but... Even though they're obvious, we need to bring them up. And perhaps if you, I encourage you, if you write in your Bible, write this down next to it. So as you read this passage in the future, you can to take your mind mentally through these things. Here's one thing. God is not a genie in a bottle. Or a lamp, if you want to go with Aladdin's lamp. You are not able to manipulate God and tell Him to do whatever you want. That's very important, folks. There is a protection here from the twistedness of our hearts. And sometimes we don't even understand the twisting of our hearts and the corruption of our own hearts. And so God is not able to be manipulated. We are not able to pursue this guarantee as a perversion like what Simon the Magician wanted to do. Turn, keep your finger here and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, just a couple New Testament books away. Acts chapter 8 and verse 9 says this, But there was a man named Simon. By the way, this is just right after the persecution, after the death of Stephen, and people were scattered about. And one of the people that were scattered about was Philip. And he went to Samaria and he preached the word. And many people believed and were come to Christ and were saved. And in verse 9, 
But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man has the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. But when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. The pattern in Acts, by the way, is the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, to the Jews. Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit comes to the Samaritans. Acts chapter 10, it comes to the Gentiles. And then Acts chapter 19, there were some apostles of John who had not received the Holy Spirit yet. That's just a side note, but that's what's happening here. It happened in increments in Acts. Today it happens instantaneously at the moment of salvation. Verse 16, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I might lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop there, but Peter rebukes him. Simon was trying to control God and the works of God through his own manipulations. So back over to Mark chapter 11. So God is not a genie in a bottle or in Aladdin's lamp, if you prefer. And God always acts within his will. God always acts within his will. So as we consider this great passage of Scripture and this great impossible guarantee, we are guaranteed that through prayer we can accomplish the impossible. We must understand that God is not manipulated by us and he always acts within his will. I'm going to give you some other Bible references that you can look at on your own time. I'm not going to take us there this morning. Matthew chapter 6 and verses 9 through 10. Matthew 6 verses 9 through 10. Mark 14, 36. John 14 verses 13 through 14. John chapter 15 and verse 7. And then John chapter 16 verses 23 24. If I went too fast for you, talk to me afterwards and I'll make sure to get those to you. So here's some possible objections. If God is not a gene in a bottle and I can't manipulate him to do what I want, and if he always responds to only to what is his will, how do I know something is God's will? 
And how do I keep that in balance with the fact that the scriptures invite me, challenge me, command me to go to God as a child with my requests? And a child with their requests doesn't hold back, my friends. Just come over to my house for a while. The requests are constant. And so we are to be to our Lord. We are to go to our Lord as a child and just let loose. Don't hold back. Sometimes as we're in prayer, we're struggling with, well, what is God's will? I don't know what it is. So how do I balance out the fact that God, I don't know God's will, but he's only going to act in accordance with his will, and yet I'm just supposed to come with him with what's on my heart. How do I figure that out? Well, when you know, let me know, okay? There's a mystery there, folks. We don't know how that works out. But I can tell you, you can become more and more assured and more and more thinking like God and following through with His will and having the same heart that God has as you cultivate your relationship with Him. As you spend time in His Word, which shows you His will and gives you principles to live out His will. As you spend time in prayer, sharing your heart with Him you will begin to more and more have a sense of his will. In addition, God's will doesn't always happen. Even if it is his will, he doesn't show you that it has happened right away. Sometimes it's wait. So we're not able to assess that and know what it is through our limited ability to understand. But here's what I want you to know, folks. Based on passages like this, you are guaranteed. Did you get that? You are guaranteed to see God work in response to your prayer. Guaranteed. That's a promise that God has given you. Here's another possible struggle with this. The first thing I mentioned was how do I know something is God's will balanced with the fact that I'm supposed to just share my heart with him with anything that's there. The next thing is how do I know it wouldn't have happened anyway? <coughs> have you ever prayed for a trivial thing and it happened? And then you wonder, well, how do I know that wouldn't have happened anyway? You ever thought that before? You prayed for a trivial thing? Just something that was a big deal to you, but you know it's a trivial thing to most other people? And then it happens like, well, maybe it would have happened anyways. And you don't really know. You just don't really know. But here's what you do know. If you fail to exercise faith, you will fail to have the confident sense that God worked in response to your prayer. And that includes impossible things, even miraculous things. If you fail to exercise faith and go to God in prayer, you are going to miss out on the impossible guarantee. Because God guarantees you, promises you, that through your prayer, you can accomplish the impossible. Number four, 
The impossible guarantee does not apply when you don't forgive. The impossible guarantee does not apply when you do not forgive. So the illustration was the mountain. The application was prayer and going to God in prayer. The exception to this is lack of forgiveness. Did you catch that? There's a threefold progression. The illustration is the mountain. The application that Jesus gave was prayer. We should be praying in faith. And then the exception to this is when you don't forgive. There are other things we could talk about, but the the specific exception that Jesus gives is lack of forgiveness. The great prayer blocker is when you don't forgive. And that's a hard one, folks. It's messy and it's confusing. But I want to offer you two aspects of forgiveness. There is the posture of forgiveness and there is the transaction of forgiveness. And you can see both in Scripture. We're not going to fill it out with other Bible verses this morning. If you want to study more on your own time, you can. But the posture of forgiveness is a heart inside of you that is willing to forgive others and is ready to forgive. And although you may not be able to have the transaction of forgiveness where the other person actually says, I wronged you, will you forgive me? And you grant them that forgiveness. That's the transaction of forgiveness. But there is a posture of forgiveness is the willingness to forgive in the transaction. There are situations where the person who wronged you and sinned against you doesn't even recognize it, will not recognize it, will not even grant you the time of day that they have sinned against you. But if you do not let go of that and prepare your heart for forgiveness and ready to forgive them in the transaction of forgiveness, it will eat you alive. And you are holding something in your heart that will block your relationship with God. That's an important distinction, folks, because in our broken world, there are a lot of situations where you will not be able to see that forgiveness take place between the two parties that needs to take place. There are people in my life that they need to ask my forgiveness, but they have not, they won't even recognize that they've wronged against me. But if I hold that in my heart without a readiness to forgive them, that will hinder my relationship with God and this impossible guarantee. A lot of people who allow that to feed bitterness and their soul begins to shrivel. It begins to eat them up. You say, oh, how do I do that? I have been wronged so deeply that I don't have the power to do that. I can't. And you're right, you can. You need God's help with that. Go to God 
and in his strength and in the power of the Holy Spirit that was given to you at the moment of your salvation, if indeed you have been born again. Through that power of the Holy Spirit, you can have the posture of forgiveness. This gets on sensitive areas really quick. we look at our application for today, let's step through our points again. And number one, people are interested in impressive accomplishments. Number two, people must connect their accomplishments to faith in God. Number three, faith in God <coughs> guarantees the impossible. For the impossible guarantee does not apply when you don't forgive. Today I want you to leave this building knowing you can be guaranteed impossible accomplishments through your prayer of faith to God. The accomplishments that we all want to accomplish as children of God can be guaranteed to us through our prayer of faith in God. A year and a half ago, when COVID was at its peak, when I was peak, it was its initial surge and everybody was afraid and they weren't sure know how bad this was and everybody was staying at home because they just weren't sure so I think it was around April of 2020 I was talking to my sister on the phone and she lives in Cincinnati area of Ohio and she has major major medical needs Um, it's, it's very complicated some things that people have never heard of and as I was talking to her on the phone, a lot of times as she would go from one place to the other, she talks on the phone to help her stay alert. Um, somebody pulled out in front of her and hit her. And I got to hear her in a car wreck while I was on the phone, hear her scream and oh, the whole deal. I don't ever want to have that experience again. Um, through that, her car was totaled. And one of the functions in my life, she can make it on her own. She does a good job adulting on her own. But one of the functions is her big brother, as I've tried to help her with many things in life as I can. Well, here we are in the middle of COVID lockdown. And we're not supposed to go anywhere. And her car is totaled. And she couldn't get the insurance companies to resolve uh, before her rental car time ran out. And she didn't have a vehicle. And I wanted to try to help her find a vehicle. And I couldn't do all those practical things that brothers like to do. And I felt like my hands were tied. And I was frustrated. And I did pray about it, but I was frustrated. I felt like there's nothing I can do. My hands were tied. Probably a little angry, too. Um, because I didn't want her to have to go through all this hardship and she didn't she didn't have the help that she needed and I couldn't do anything about it and there's nothing I could do. 
So I did pray about it in the midst of the struggle in my heart. And within a day or two, a friend that I know from Wakarusa put up on Facebook that she needed to sell her car. Long story short, the Lord used me in a way I had no idea was even possible to help my sister get a car within a very short order. Within a week, I was driving her car down, halfway down the state, so that we could meet and she could have a vehicle. I share with you my frustration and my anger, so you know I'm not any saint, but I, I also want to tell you this as a personal story. There are times when you feel like there's nothing you can do, your hands are tied, and something highly unlikely happens, and God works through your prayer. And he gives you the confident sense that because you prayed, believing that he can work, and he does it. And you never saw it coming. You couldn't have done it yourself. There are many prayers that God has either said no to or he said, wait, I don't know because I haven't. the answer yes hasn't come yet. I know that God is not a genie in a bottle. I know that I can't manipulate him. And I know that I can't always ask according to his will. But I do know that if I ask in faith, and it is according to his will, the impossible will happen. And it is a great blessing to my soul, and it will be a great blessing to your soul. So as you leave here today, I want you to know you're supposed to go to God with what's on your heart, believing that according to his will, he will work the impossible through your prayer. And you can have the feeling in your soul, the reality in your soul, that God did something impossible because you asked him in faith. Take a few minutes and respond to the Lord.